Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us. You know who we are? It's on the front title page. Right on. That makes it easy. I am your host, Game Goblin, and sitting besides me is... Kazakhan, the Lord Dragon. And Dark Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. So we're going to do another creature feature here. We're going to go outside the box, outside the book, outside all of it to bring you things that are on the inside. Stuff that's not listed, getting kind of creative here with either locations or items that are creatures in and of their own right. So, the obvious starting point is possessed places or items. I mean, the living haunted house. Um, the fucking ghost ship that's alive because of all the souls that have died on it. I mean, we, we can really just start as a jumping off point there if you guys are good that. Exactly. So, to give uh, our listeners kind of a, a, an appraisal of where we're going with this... If you've seen movies like The Cube, The Cube in and of itself is the enemy of the campaign, of the movie, of the whole series. Or you have Christine, which is also a living, possessed item. Or in any case, you could even go back to 2001, A Space Odyssey, and Hal is the main antagonist of the movie. So we're going into that whole weird genre area of creatures that can add more to your game that are not creatures. So we're going to go with some missing 411 level stuff here. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Sounds intriguing. I'm I'm very interested to see how we take our spin on this. Well, I, so am I. I mean, we are three GMs here, and we should be able to figure something out that would make the players for our games and the players for the games for those who are listening all the more interesting. Well, we can start out simple. We go with the classic... They've made hundreds of movies about it. A possessed haunted house. You have from Disney-made little kid ones to... Uh, 13 Ghosts. Oh, 13 Ghosts is a great example. 13 right Ghosts there. is a great example of the haunted house that, where the house is also an antagonist. It's a mechanical one. It doesn't think. It does what people tell it to do. It's still an antagonist. Mm-hmm. It's still on its own volition. It still kills people. What? What was it? Um... Quote, uh, to err is human, to really fuck it up takes a computer. That's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from your description. Precisely. So, haunted items, haunted houses, stairways and forests, alien encounters. This is, uh, this is the episode for things that don't fit in the bestiary, but still can make your way into game. Ah, so this is miscellaneous 411? Miscellaneous 411. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Of course, I still have to whip out a stairway being in the middle of a forest on my players, but it's going to happen one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. Uh, but yeah, I mean, taking from the possessed location, right? There's haunted houses possessed by evil spirits or, you know, Dracula's castle where still dark things happen centuries after he was slain. You know, you, you can go with one of those where every time you enter a room, the room itself is out to get you. Exactly. Uh, that, again, that brings us to the cube, mm-hmm. which in itself is, what was it, like a 
a hundred by a hundred squares, but each square was ten by ten, like in D and D, and each room was a trap. Now, granted, if I was a GM, that would be an absolute nightmare to try to conceive of like that many different weirdness. That many the different traps. Moved. It was a Rubik's cube. Even if the rooms didn't move, uh, like that's still a hundred different unique. Like, Traps. Like, even a 10 by 10 square is 100 traps to come up with that are each different to screw with my players. Just for a 10 by 10. Yeah, that, that's just gross. There's a lot of effort. And, yeah, that is a, an entire campaign. It is an entire campaign. Not only that, uh, one of the things with living items, when you do a living, possessed, AI item, is the, the old adage of keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you try to get too squirrely with this stuff and you get over-encumbered by the process of building the trap, it's probably too complex to run as a, a game unless you're doing specifically the cube and you really, 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 really want to do this. If it's your more power to you. It, it's, more power to you, if that's your thing. Like, some of the ones that uh, we see, though, in popular media that have held our attention for a short time or decades are typically the simplest of ones. Such as Christine was a possessed car that possessed the capabilities to uh, basically pair bond with the owner. Because uh-huh. uh, there was, you know, there's the scenes where, like, the guys trash the car, the car regenerates, and then has the capacity to track down the aggressors and attack them ruthlessly. Mm-hmm. But there's not really much beyond that. It's a very simple... Retaliation response. It's a very regeneration simple. and retaliation response. Regeneration and retaliation. It can move under its own volition and regenerate. That's enough. There's no other needed special abilities for the vehicle. Whereas Howell controlled the entire spaceship, but still had his own character flaws. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, yes, it's an AI, but the whole theme is very simple. Hal doesn't have like satellite uplinking and remote. He doesn't Crazy. have all the toys that we attribute to AIs and, like, the Terminator series. Exactly. Like, Hal doing the time travel shit would just be... Hal would break. Hal would... doesn't have that power. Well, it would just be too much from a thematic standpoint. Yeah. Well, he couldn't even hear people inside a small spaceship within himself. But he could read their lips. True. Which is But a he cool. had limitations, set limitations he did it, on it, what he could do. Exactly. All of these haunted things, uh, or AI controlled, or otherwise somehow... Forced into animation. For animate objects, uh, yeah, they all have limitations. Even yeah. the sword of fighting has limitations, even though it can teleport right back into Perf's hand, the sword of fighting still has limitations. Yeah, like it can't be held by another. Yeah, like it can't be held by but, other people. I mean, you look at the haunted building, or possessed, or AI'd, or whatever. Its main limitation is its confines. Once you're beyond its walls, you're free. Exactly, like the house on Haunted Hill. I love that one. And that one went in so much more because each room had something about it that could potentially kill you. They were secret panels that would move and give someone in an area behind it the ability to lower the noose around your neck while you slept. Exactly. The, uh, well, the house on Haunted Hill, regardless of which version. Which edition. Yeah, yeah which edition, because there was multiples of that. The house itself, like, that's a trap maker's dream. Oh, yeah. For a GM who likes to do traps, because every room had its own unique special, unique flair. Yeah. Whether it was the chandelier room or the boiler room. Or the wine cellar with a vat of acid. Or the wine cellar with a vat of acid. Because you apparently need a vat of acid just laying around. Well, uh, wasn't the thing of 
he, the prior owner used it to get rid of bodies after he started losing money or something. Something like that. They're like the the wine. Uh, there was some bullshit story behind why it was there. Yeah, there, there was also the other one where it was formerly a mental hospital, and like the right. doctors went like super fucking not so super nutso and just started electrocuting people for the fun of it kind of stuff. This oh, is another yeah. interesting twist on the possessed item, uh, possessed area though, is causing madness. So the, <laughs> so the location itself is not intrinsically out to get people, but causing them enough madness will get the same results. Absolutely. That's actually a very common theme in this is a location will have something horrible happen on it. Like, and this is in popular culture anyway with our uh, current superstitions. Event and Horizon? Event Horizon or uh, there's a place uh, I've... Don't quote me on this one or quote me. It doesn't matter either way, but I, from what I understand, it's called Milwaukee Land. And over in Montana and there's a stretch of road that you don't really go down on that road after dark because bad things are, tend to happen to people. But from what I understand and I, I'm... Of course, this is hearsay and rumor, so it may not be 100% true. But apparently there was some really bad shit that happened on that road back in, like, the uh, early the settling days. Yolden times. People were still doing horse and carriage stuff. And apparently that bad stuff just kind of culminated uh, among the locals living there, the local natives. And as that, a spook zone? As a spook zone, and, like, all the bad spooks just kind of, like, hover around that area to keep everybody else out. Well, it's like uh, in my home state of New Mexico, Route 666. Everyone's heard of it. Yeah. There's movies about it. They renamed it. doesn't change the fact of there's sightings of uh, Weird chupacabras, shit. ghosts, skinwalkers, all that stuff along that stretch of road. Yeah, it's like Skinwalker Ranch. That's a locational oh, yeah. uh, item there. Yeah, and if you can get far enough away from it, you're fine. If you get far enough away from the location, that's uh, one of the things that, that players need to know, is if they wind up in an adventure, and the GM, of course, who scripts this, uh, locational adventures where the location is the enemy, once you get past a certain border, you're all right. Yep. Um, or at least you you aren't pursued, because there can be not, lingering effects. There can be lingering effects, yes, especially like in Skinwalker stories. There can be lingering effects. Mm. As long as the Duke boys make it across that county line, they'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, this, is a, this is also a very common trope in the locational or item hauntings. Is once you get, like the, uh, unless it's an item that like tracks you down and haunts you, if you ditch the item, you're done with the haunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a certain player, if they ditched a certain sword, the problem would have been resolved. And we probably would have still been playing that campaign to this day. And you probably, probably would have. Probably would have. That was that was uh, an item haunting, and he walked right into that trap. And you played that a little too well for him. I oh man, I tried. No, you absolutely and, did. I did. And, like it, it's a masterful piece from a GM side, but like the sad, the it sucks very like, broken end of that campaign. It, it's a very broken end. So it's really sad that as a GM, I trapped the player too well. Um, again, this is go heralds back to our last uh, episode. You know, like. Fucking flare. There's nobody's fault but his for walking into that trap and ruining everything. I set it up, yes, but he's the one who ultimately walked in that flaming cornfield. 
And not only did he walk into it, he rolled around in its ashes. He rolled around in his ass, ashes, asses, whatever. <laughs> he clapped his ass cheeks at he it. Clapped his ass cheeks in defiance. Uh, yeah, like when we have the uh, uh, Batuta game. But getting back on topic, uh, when we have like the missing four one one cases, a vast majority of the times, uh, whether it is a creepy pasta or an actual legitimate story, once somebody gets out of that national park or gets through a pass like a, a certain creek or river. A landmark. Uh, other landmark. They're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, shaken like, up, probably dealing with mental up. problems afterwards, but they're not going to be in mortal harm immediately. It's, it's like the Mount Shasta stories. Once you get off Mount Shasta, you're all right. Uh, so as a GM, if I'm building a location to be the bad guy, bad place, whatever. Bad entity. The bad entity. The region of negative energy. The region of negative energies. <laughs> um... <laughs> Once I get to that point, you know, like if they, they get past in rhythm, <laughs> yeah. Once they get past a certain point, like if they get out of the cave system, which is a locational hazard, into the daylight is an easy one. Into the daylight, yeah. You can even do it by time. You just need to survive the haunting until sun uh, sunrise, and then all those spirits are laid back to rest. Because we can also do this all the time. Because about you got stuff like I do with my um, my version of the dollhouse, where it only affects them during real world. October. If they're if we're playing a game in October, that's when they enter the dollhouse again. Yeah, it's like uh, of course one of the classics I saw as a kid is the Amityville Horror, mm-hmm. and they make a big play that it's uh, three a.m. is when the haunting begins. That's when it's at its absolute peak worst. The haunting does still take place during the day or during uh, different locations on the property itself. Mm-hmm. But once the Lutz family fled the house, they were all right. And if you're going with a time-based scenario, basically between 3 to 4 a.m. is when the adventure, if uh, the Amityville Horror was an adventure, is at its worst. Mm-hmm. That's at its peak. But that's also when you have the best chance to try and eliminate badness. Hopefully. Depending but, on if a, a forward approach is what works, and they're not always going to be the case. But one way we can try and set this up is you're playing in a campaign. Right, you're sent to investigate this town. Turns out it's getting overrun by some really ravenous vampires. But they only come out after dark, and sure. as long as you can survive till sunrise, you're good, right? We'll do a total uh, dusk to dawn situation. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Um, so that sets you a timeline. 30 days of night. They had to survive the 30 days of constant nighttime. And once they did that, they were fine. They could get out, because after that, it was long periods of sunlight. And they could travel faster and farther than the vampires could. Yeah, that's kind of taking me over to, as far as locations go, um, Pitch Black was the entire planet oh, was yeah. the locational hazard. But I think we're scaling, I, I think we should keep it scaled back yeah. though to more like haunted houses or like a specific tract of land. Or, or you know, you can only trigger the Krampus curse during the X. holiday season. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, you can only, like, yeah, December is the only time Krampus will show up and basically be BDSM Santa. Well, it's like the the 12 days before Christmas, but yeah. It, you could set up time limits like that, where this adventure will go on for several days, but it's only during this, this very time. finite zone. Yeah, this very finite zone. Um, and it this, this also applies to going into the future settings, like the Starfinder setting. Okay. Haunted stations or locations. Again, you know, because especially because that's a science fantasy game, both magic and AI are present, <laughs> they can get really weird. They can. 
there's an entire adventure path about yeah, that. And as actually. he mentioned earlier, you know, we got Event Horizon, which is a locational space hazard. Right. And if you wanted to do that, say you're playing a game in this star that this ship is stranded around. It's a haunted ship scenario. The star belts out horrendous amounts of radiation, like above what the standard shields are meant to do. But it has a period of time where the radiation is like directed in a certain direction. So you you're you can only get onto the ship uh, during that time, and you got to try and get off the ship before the radiation band swings, swings back your area. So that again sets you up with timelines. Uh, uh, place if you say we go back to small scale, you're doing uh, haunted manor, right? And it goes to the edge of the property. There's this big hedge. That goes all the way around the property or a stone wall. Once you're beyond that, you're good. But within that, everything from the trees, the rats, the the owls, the uh, haunted curtains, for God's sake. <laughs> the haunted marinated beef curtains. <laughs> Someone will do it. Someone uh, will do it. Somebody will do it. You, you have that area. So setting up your boundaries for something like this is number one if you're designing. Absolutely. Or if you're reading one, that's the first thing you look for. I would also look at uh, any creepy pastas like uh, Lazy Masquerade and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those creepy pastas. Yep, exactly. Uh, some of these guys have the locations, you know, where people will explore a certain place, and every time, you know, you have to consider like these. Uh, some of them are like total bullshit. I also like Adventure Allah. Oh yeah. Uh, he's got some good ones. Hearing that guy scream is just hilarious. <laughs> the shit he does, but anyway. Uh, they go to these locational areas, and the encounters that they film are often different. Like, the Adventure Allah ones will have crazy shit happen, like stuff burst into flames, or he'll have actual physical manifestations of something on the property, or shit in mirrors. So, this gives a lot of room for a horror campaign. When the GM wants to mess with people, just with everything in this site, might. Do something weird and might do some, Yeah, might. Is the operative word though, because you don't know if it will or will not be something that's hostile towards you. And you know, again, we use the example of a hedge maze. Mm-hmm. There can be handily, there can be deterrence that the place creates to help encourage people to stay within its power. Oh, or you've got that really weird um, horror movie where it's the um, the corn. There's a meteorite in the middle of a cornfield, and over the centuries, it's infected the corn that was planted there by settlers. Because before it was just grassland, corn is just a type of grass, right? So it infects it, so it becomes its own time loop. Everything loops back to the oh, center. Yes, yes. So when you enter into the gra- into the corn on foot, uh, I think it's like uh, any time at night if you enter in on foot, you get caught in the loop. You enter during the day, you're mostly okay unless you find the stone, and then you're at the epicenter. And you, you then it's right so where then you can't. You've got your own borders there, where all you have to do is get out of the grass field. And but it can deter you; it can totally shift things around you because this this corn is taller than most beans, so it can run you around in circles. It can run you around. The corn in itself is a uh, mostly overlooked landscape hazard because once you're in a cornfield if you don't have your sense of direction and it the corn is taller than you and you can't see the sun you're in for a long time stars it's a pain in the butt 
Yeah. I used to live down in the south. It's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, but like we were saying, there are facets that deter people back towards its center of power, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I was thinking like a hedge maze with some of those vampire bushes. We discussed oh, yeah, them in one of the previous episodes. Bushes, yes. Right? So the whole shtick is they're carnivorous motherfucking bushes. They look just like the ones right next to them. And if you get too close, they're going to chomp your hand off. Well, if you stick that around the ridge, uh, the the borderline of your haunted zone, whatever it may be, you have two facets here. You have a deterrent to keep people away because people are going to try and make deterrence so people don't get caught in whatever bullshit. That's a double-edged sword and traps things further. And then if you're doing a campaign with a big, bad, evil guy who severely outclasses the players, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're at the haunted location, they go through some of the adventure, they, they get a little bit riled up, and then somebody has to release Frankenstein's monster, essentially, and it goes on a rampage after the players, and they decide, fuck it, after, like, two or three people get completely gacked. Now you're just like, well, now you're running through a hedge mage. Did you take notes on the way in? Did you? Yeah, exactly. That's some panic mode level stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Did you take notes? You release the Minotaur. You release the Minotaur. He knows you... the way. You don't. Yeah, he knows the way. You don't, unless you have eidetic memory, which good fucking luck. And huh? even then, you can set it up so that the hedge maze does actually change. You have wandering bushes. Exactly. Right. That's you know. two plant creatures, and all of a sudden, your outdoor environment in a horror, a uh, possessed environment setting is way spookier because the hedges move and some of them will bite you. It doesn't need to be uh, entirely because we're we're talking about things that move and this actually reminds me of another good example from antiquity if you want to call it that. In internet years definitely the Mesozoic. (laughs) Uh, But on a more fantasy scale uh, Labyrinth is a good example of different landscapes that are all locational whether it's a maze or a town or otherwise, where things are just moving and shifting around all willy-nilly on their own, and it's not scary. That's it, true. It is completely Ooh. fantastical. I've got one. All right. This comes to us from Stargate. Oh, wow. The TV series. So there was a town. They had a Stargate. They entered, and it was like, oh, it looks pretty idyllic. There was a shield. It went beyond the shield. It was basically like being on the surface of Venus. Right. The big radiation shields. So the shield, over time, it originally it covered like a continent. Power started going down, so it started shrinking. Because everyone was hooked up to the AI net, you would end up, the computer was told to preserve as many people as possible for as long as possible. So it would go in and make people basically like sleepwalk out of the shield to die, so then the shield could shrink. And uh, just whole populations and cities were gotten rid of. People would forget their mother ever lived. and You could totally do that for a sci-fi style campaign. You, you guys uh, fucking teleport down to the planet. You're like, oh, this looks pretty I- idyllic for being, you know, a, a giant gas ball now. But the shield keeps shrinking and no one realizes it because the AI, the computer system, is trying to keep people calm even though it's losing power and can't go on. Yeah, exactly. And AI's uh, degrading is a very good trope to follow along for locational. One of the best actually takes place uh, on Drozana Station. I know I'm going into MMO land here. Oh, yeah. 
But on Drozada Station, if you go into the guts of the station, which is run by Ferengi, so yeah, it's not the best place to be. But you go down there and I can't remember his name, but there's this AI, a basically a hollow doctor who's gone insane because his program has degraded from the lack of maintenance. Mm-hmm. And he sings like these terrible, horrible rhymes that scare the crap out of you. And does, like, flashes of lights to disorient you and kills people with the onboard systems. Mm-hmm. So an AI going nuts. I'm helping. I'm helping. <laughs> and, and the thing that is really messed up about AIs, and if you bring in an AI, that's definitely a top-tier... Spook. Spook or problem, because an AI, even with a degraded synaptic response in its uh, memory core and stuff like that, is still thinking 10,000 times faster than the mm. players. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, we, and you touched on something that's very important. Try to save as many people for as long as possible. Two very simple directives. Very simple. So it's doing math. Hey, I can save this cluster of people longer if I let that dude walk outside. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Yeah, and they're going to follow that path until oh. it is no longer viable. It's basically the needs of the many outweigh the few, but in the backwards manner that the AI is doing it by nothing but mathematics. Yeah. And that's, like, on its own right, that's kind of a fun, like, story arc in its like in its power. That's why it made it onto Stargate at one point. Yeah, there's a bunch of Star Trek episodes that uh, herald in this uh, kind of vein where they have one... I want to say it's from the OST Star Trek, you know, when they had Captain Kirk, where they basically they had a computer that was running the environment and the show and all that stuff, and all the people followed along with what it did because it was part of their religion as a prophet. They didn't realize it was just a computer telling them what to do. And the computer was basically in a logic error. It had the personality of its original creator. And if I recall correctly, Kirk and Spock basically had to point out, hey, your logic is flawed, and the computer was like, Durr! Error! 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 Uh, yeah, especially Star Trek um, is great for locational oh. uh, inspiration. Ooh, Portal. The Portal series runs in the same sort of way. All of the tests are in a closed environment. Yes, there's advanced tech, but it's all run by GLaDOS. And the flawed logic that this is all for science. All of it. Including its rather distinctive malicious streak. So, the the thing that popped in my head, speaking of Star Trek, uh, DS9, the only one I actually like. So, they had an episode where they went to a identical space station. They were going there to uh, I think they were going there to scavenge stuff. Okay. Uh, they needed a part. You get there, you accidentally unleash Frankenstein's monster. They were super soldier attempts. They were putting uh, stasis. And I think it was a team of Ferengi that <laughs> ended up taking him down. Uh, well, no. that would probably be Brunt because he likes to have. He does like to shoot things. Yeah. And loves explosions. Brunt is one of the few Ferengi you do not fuck with. Yeah. When it comes down to like getting physical and shooting at somebody, you're like, I, I hope they don't have Brunt with oh, them. No, they they were fighting the um, the clone drug addicted guys. Oh, the Gemidar. Yeah, the Gemidar. That was the 
time before I think uh, a time before that the actual Starfleet guys are going because the uh, one Spoonhead guy that was the tailor Spoonhead that's racist <laughs> they don't exist I know um, so he went there they were looking for something uh, and that's when those guys got released so he had to pull out his fucking moves or whatever but anyways doing something like that where it's not so much the location is merely the setting but the cursed item is you've unleashed a horror. Or some other wackadoo presence. You know, you activate an AI and this mech is coming after you. You Alien. Look at Alien. That's a perfect example. They unleashed a horror and now you have to fight it or get the fuck out. Yeah, this is the same thing I pulled in one of my iterations of the dollhouse. Right? Grumpy. No, no. The dolls that were in the cases. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, For, you know, when you're playing a fantasy game, I put the cursed items... The actual legitimate cursed items in containment cubes, and it was the players who unleashed them. There would have been no problem. And again, this is about borders. They crossed the border by getting the doll out. They broke the seal. They broke hey, the guess seal. what? It was sealed for a reason. It was sealed for a reason, but of course, player right. characters see three different kinds of locks on something and think, oh, it must be super valuable. I want it. Sometimes people lock things away because it shouldn't get out. Same yeah. thing with Alien. Oh, yeah. The yeah. jockeys locked that shit away for a reason. Exactly. Arguably. Yeah, it really Arguably. depends on the whether you're new school or old school on it. Because I'm old school. Sucks. I'm old school. Yeah. Same. So, yeah, you, you have a lot of options as a GM here when you come up with the locational because we've gone over so far in, what, 20 minutes now? Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, yeah, we've gone over the Almost fact 30. that it could be an AI that's running the show because you're in the far future and it's computerized. It could be a possessed item. It could be an awakened item. It could be a possessed location. It could, be, it could be an aware location. Or it could just be some random Thing. happenstance where a meteor crashes in a cornfield and this is your adventure. And, you know, not only that, like, you, you mentioned AIs. They're not exclusive to Far Future. Magical programming does exist if you do it that way. So, you build a golem, its job is to guard this place. That's a pretty simple directive. It's not exactly needing, you know, and high IQ. long outlives you and everyone who lived there. There's actually a really good story about a uh, golem that did that. It planted a garden, mm-hmm. and when it didn't understand the uh, cycle of life and death. So it was kind of one of those weird tragedy stories, but it was also a feel-good story because it made friends with uh, one of the visitors who came to the garden, but when that person died, the golem just buried him in the garden anyway because they were rotting meat because it didn't understand. Yeah, and, you know, now we've got this. Like, this is true just as much in golems as it is in robots or anywhere that a magical construct, a magical mental, can govern a place. Can, you can easily use that in place of any AI, ever. Absolutely. That was uh, the original incarnation of the dollhouse. Grumpy was told, make sure nobody disturbs me until I wake up. And then Grumpy's uh, creator died. In his sleep. In his sleep. So Grumpy assumed that even though his creator had become skeletonized, he was still sleeping. He didn't understand. So when the players come to the dollhouse and try to claim the stuff inside... Grumpy defends the dollhouse because he, his master said, don't let anybody... Uh, don't let... I don't want to be awoken. Yeah, he doesn't want to be awoken. Like, you're making noise and the master's sleeping. Yeah. Go away. 
Exactly. That was the entire thing about the dollhouses. Grumpy was basically trying to just shoo the player characters away. No, go away. Uh, find another place. Go. Shoot. I want to find someone who's really good with the 3D printing stuff and have them design to scale all the cabinets that have dolls inside them. So it'd be like multiple pieces and I can paint all that and actually make the dollhouse real. You are a terrifying motherfucker. You That'd be a lot of work, dude. That would. It would be a lot. But anyways, you know, these... Getting down to, like, cursed items, even. Um, we can see in the movie Bright, right? Like, the, the wand was cursed to keep them within a certain range of the original owner. So it kept them inside of a area. Yeah. Granting that that area moved, right? Uh, I don't remember, but it could have. Uh, yeah, it could have, but it was like it couldn't leave X amount of space away from the owner. It would keep them there. The owner was still alive. They killed her at the end. So, like, that was a thing where you have this item and you can't let that item fall into the enemy's hands. And you can't just hide it because they can call it. You know? So you've got to try and survive until you can defeat the enemy, who is way more uber-powerful than you. Yeah, and it cursed items. Like, we've, we've tagged on it a couple of times. Cursed items and, you know, like the dollhouse. Built, realized they were bad, sealed away. Player Greed goes, hey, that locked by a bunch of stuff, I want it. <laughs> and, and therefore causing problems because they're breaking the containment. They, they were breaking the containment on the items, yeah, so it's, that was that a like, cursed item situation. You do have also awakened items or sentient items, mm-hmm. and this comes in uh, many forms, of course, across the genres from fantasy to sci-fi, where it can be a computerized tool that just has a snarky personality. Mm-hmm. Or even the Millennium Falcon, for Christ's sake, was intelligent even before they ruined it with L three three whatever. Murder, yeah, dirt, 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 killbot. But before that, it was actually part of the stories where there was two droid personalities in the ship, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why the hyperdrive wasn't working is one of the personalities was sabotaging the other personality. Now would piss off that personality, so it would sabotage the other one. They were in cyber warfare with each they other. They were in cyber warfare with, with each other inside the computer systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gave the Millennium Falcon a extra level of personality that was completely non-malicious. And you can totally bring this into a sci-fi setting where somebody's armor does not agree with their gun. Just yep. the two of them don't talk. Happy. The two of them don't talk, but you have to link the two together because the gun operates off the uh, armor's power pack. Yeah. You know, or so it's, your gun only has 24 rounds, and the player's like, why? It's like, because the armor's in a tizzy right now. <laughs> the armor got shot because the gun didn't hit the guy, even though it was in its sights. Exactly. But yeah, it, it, you can do a lot of fun stuff like that. And even getting back to the magical realm, you've got a sentient talking hammer. And then the other party member has a sentient direction-finding talking shield. And they just really oppose each other. They really don't like each other. And Yeah. You go to swing the hammer and the shield is like put out front. Yeah, take a hit there, you little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, and that's one way to give an item personality without a whole lot of trouble is just make it bigger with another personality. Or even... That is not a player. Yeah, you don't even have to be malicious with intelligent items. Maybe the item just doesn't like the person holding it. If you go by, like, say, Dungeons & Dragons, where there's an alignment scale, and you have to be 
along the good spectrum to wield this particular sword, but the person who picks up the sword is lawful neutral, and the sword's like, you know what, I don't want to be wielded by this guy, and you just have to give him like an increased roll threshold, so instead of rolling a nat 1 for a critical failure, so the sword can try to wiggle free, it's not like a 1 through 3. And the sword is constantly trying to get away from the player. That's it. Not malicious. It's just like... No, no, no. I don't like you. Go away. Leave me alone. The sword can't communicate except by trying to slip out of the dude's grasp as often as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna. I don't want to be used, so I'm gonna just make myself useless. Yeah. And this, you know, cursed items don't always have to be brazenly the badness. But they certainly can be. A cursed amulet of natural armor much? Yeah. Well, yeah, like you put on an army, uh, an amulet of natural armor that's cursed, and it just makes you smell like fucking Limburger cheese. Or the Slaneshi sleeping bag. The Slaneshi sleeping <laughs> bag. That was not cursed. That was intentionally designed that way. Uh, <laughs> so somewhat malicious. It was malicious when I gave it to another player character. Fair. That was malicious. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying, you know, like, yeah, when we get into items, you know, like, the item might not be... Like you said, the end-all, be-all of evil or angst or any other emotion. It just might be cursed in such a way that it makes itself less desirable. Right? And An know. amulet of bee attraction. Ah, yeah. You can put on the amulet of natural armor, but it just decides it doesn't work whenever you're near a hive of bees. Right. Or, um... You mentioned the smell of Limburger cheese, right? Yeah. Ugh. Right? Ugh. So... Your natural armor is the fact that nobody wants to get swing at you because you stink. Oh man, or you got like a headband of intelligence, but all of a sudden you are just swamp ass. Yeah, yeah, like, it doesn't like you, so but it doesn't sweat. like you. It just makes you start sweating like yeah. <laughs> and or the headband just starts putting random thoughts of useless facts in your mind. Hey, did you know that? <laughs> hey, a platypus has a poison bar. Yeah. Did you know the shoe size of the constable over there is a size 9? I'm helping! I'm helping! <laughs> yeah, and, like, AIs, semi-intelligent constructs, uh, intelligent items. Did you know when you get the sniffles from the plant pollen, you're actually getting sniffles from tree cum? <laughs> yeah. Useless knowledge! Oh, so, the I'm helping error is actually a really good trope. It is right? a good trope, yeah. And it's there for a reason. It's good because it works. It's good because it's the best intentions gone awry. And oh, people man. don't people don't respond to that the same way. It's, it's actually how Goblin and I got fished. The best intentions, right? That was their shtick. It was a very complicated con. And it, it worked. It was annoying, but we've got it. It's dealt with it in the past. But... Our initial response was not, guard, hey, this is a trouble thing, I should not talk to this. It was, oh, you done fucked up, okay, well, I'm willing to forgive, let's see what we can do to fix it. It was our initial response, it played on that malicious side of sales. Which is, actually, that's another good point, I know Blasphemous wants to speak here in a moment, so I'll make it quick. Is haunted locations and supernatural locations and whatnot... They do have a lure. Some of these do it, like uh, we mentioned the uh, Skinwalker Ranch earlier, and that was kind of a lure. The same lure was used in the Amityville Horror Story, where the house price was just too good to pass up. 
And when the guy got the ranch in the Skinwalker Ranch, the price was just too good to pass up. So, of course, if you're translating this to an adventure, the adventure hook is just too good to pass up. And this is the time you should look a gift horse in the mouth. Yes. Or even the simple thing of you do the Scooby-Doo trope of you see a light in the distance and hey, you're running low on gas. You use the phone. Yeah, or, you know, the stranded traveler trope, right? Any port or storm. So, so the point I was wanting to get to on items that are not so much cursed but could just be finicky. Because we had the uh, little cheap uh, doll that you were giving me. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That wasn't so much cursed as used improperly. That was used very improperly. <laughs> and I thought of a way for them to redo the charges on But in true doll maker fashion, there was an Achilles heel to the enchantment. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who wish to know the story, I know we covered it in another podcast, but just throw a quick refresher. The doll had 50 charges, Ring of the Ram. You point the doll at the target you want to have, expend the charge of Ring of the Ram on, up to three charges, the same as the ring to do X amount of damage to... Inanimate object. Inanimate object, like a barrier or whatnot. Because that's what that's and for. And then you pull the string and the, the doll would animate, run towards the item, and headbutt it. Because it was a little ring of the ram, so it was a uh, god. What did they call it? Like uh, ramming Rhonda or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I gave it another cutesy doll name, and it runs forward and headbutts the target, and unleashes the ring of the ram force. Runs back to the owner, and then unanimates. It just sits down, basically. But the caveat, in true doll maker fashion, with all of the cursed dolls that I've come up with throughout the adventures, there was a small itty bitty chance. It was a five percent chance, and this one was a bit more extreme than normal. But you pull the string, and it would designate you as the target instead, and expend all charges. And guess what my player did? He Rick? He's like, well, the best way to find out is to pull the string. And he got 50 charges of Ring of the Ram into the guts. So that splattered his character. But he was resurrected. Yeah, he basically just, oh, the only way to find out is push the red button. So he pulls the string and gets ripped in half. So By wait, something that's oh, like a six-inch sheep doll, about an eight-inch tall sheep doll. <laughs> so the it was a plushie. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, the way I thought to have them recharge that is they need to shear it, shear oh. the sheep, and then as the wool grows back, it gains back charges. Oh, that makes sense. But so you can do things like that where you say you've got a returning, or you've got a dagger of returning, but. It only ever hits things in the back. You throw it, it yeah. hits them in the back. It comes back to you, it hits you in the back. <laughs> You've got... Um, yeah, that's just one. a calculation error is the it's best a, part of that. It's a, it's a plus one backstabber. Yeah. <laughs> it's a plus one returning <laughs> dagger. You throw it at your opponent and it will return to you, but it always lands in your back. No, we call it spinal tap. Oh, spinal tap. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there was nothing there but a green smoke where he was sitting while playing the drums. <laughs> Uh, so the the other thing is, say you've got a sword that you've enchanted with um, cleave or something like that, where it, if it hits and does enough damage, it'll continue to the next target. Well, if you only have one target, it's gonna hit you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a wraparound chain sword. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking chain sword. Jesus Christ, that's terrible. Oh yeah. Whee! Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff like you've got the the quiver of never ending arrows. Well, yeah, they're going to just keep growing and falling out as you walk, so it's taking a breadcrumb trail for anyone to follow you. 
Unless you've got some manner of, like, storing it. And a clever player will probably attach, like, a bag of holding right next to it to catch the overflow. But There, there are still, well... Even then, it's not going to last long. They'd have to cycle it out really I don't know. fast. This is, this is also an item that is kind of... It leads into where I want to go, but if I had a quiver of unending arrows like that, you bet your ass I'd be putting that to use. Oh, yeah. Especially with, like, a 3.5 monk build, I would be lethal to everything within throwing distance forever. <laughs> um, but with cursed items, you know, players can't have fun with this. Like, there was one, it was a cursed ring of returning. And the GM at the time, this was like 25 years ago, he was really big on crossovers. So he was crossing over Vampire the Masquerade with 2nd Edition D&D. Pain in the ass. Super pain in the ass. And for some reason, my Nosferatu got a ring that I found a use for it. And it wasn't exactly a clever use, but it made sure everybody knew who I was because apparently the big bad guy was impostering people. And, you know, they're using uh, the, the power of obfuscation, which allows you to do Mask of a Thousand Faces so you can appear as somebody else. Well, he would appear as the player characters and try to ruin our day. And I'm playing a leather face that doesn't talk, I just murder things. And I get this ring of returning that's just cursed. That's all it does is return to owner. And I put it on and I can't take it off. In, in true Leatherface fashion, I just cut off my hand and throw my hand off into a fucking grinder. Ring is gone, right? No, it returns. It's back on my hand. Being a Leatherface, I get a little more frustrated here and I cut my hand off again and just throw it into like a sewer. Now my whole hand returns and I'm like, this gives me an idea. <laughs> I take my hand and I thread some cord through it and wear my hand around my neck with the ring on it. And so when, of course, the uh, the guys come and they're like, hey, you know, we, we, you guys have been screwing up again. And I just shake my head no. And they're like, well, we've positively identified you. And I hold up my hand it's wrapped around my neck. And one of the other guys gets it. And he's like, hey, um, our Nosferatu friend here is asking when you saw him, was he wearing his hand? And they're like, well, no. And he's like, well, he only wears his hand. So if you see somebody else that looks like him, but doesn't have a hand around his neck, it's not him. <laughs> it's a one-of-a-kind item. It's a one-of-a-kind item. So players can have as much fun with cursed items or cursed places even. Like, if a group stumbles across a cursed place, and we had one that was like this, like, you could, you could never go... To where you intended to go. Mm -hmm. That's what the, the way that the curse on the landscape works. It's sort of a, a, a obfuscation of direction. It was an obfuscation. If you wanted of direction. to go to the well, you'd end up at the cemetery. Uh, there was a tower in the center of this, and the, the wizard, of course, liked to be left alone. So when you intended to go visit the wizard, you would always walk uh, some other way. You would always wind up back to where you started. Eventually, you would always wind up on the edge of the forest, right where you entered the forest, and never get to his tower. And then so I just blindfolded myself and took some uh, sleepy time drugs. So all I was thinking about was, I'm so tired, instead of where I'm going. And the other players basically just put their hands on my shoulder and, and closed their eyes and followed me. <laughs> and so, let him just wander around. And they were just like, basically, hey, lift your foot over the stick, or you're about to walk into a tree, turn left. So they were basically keeping me from, like, stumbling over shit. And that was it. <laughs> and then we figured out, after we got to the Wizard's Tower, we cleaned it out, we got done with that adventure, and then it dawned on us. 
we should send other people here, but give them the, the intent that they want to escape. So we used, so when you're doing a location like this, clever players will also catch on. So when we captured like anybody and after we got done interrogating and stuff, we'd throw them in the forest and we'd be like, if you want to get your freedom, you have to find the edge of the forest. <laughs> and so they intentionally <laughs> created a prison with it. So we created a prison because they would always talk about trying to get out of the forest, finding the edge of the forest, and they'd always wind up back in the center of the forest at the wizard's tower. <laughs> so we switched it around on the GM. So like clever players will do this. Um, another good example: a ring of anti magic, right? Mm-hmm. So the shtick with the ring of anti magic: if you put it on, your magic is sealed. This is great for the fighter who doesn't give a shit. It's also great because that means that magic can't target you, right? That's right. the ostensible idea. Well, the downside is, your wizard buddy, he puts that thing on, he is a fucking limp noodle. And your cleric can't heal you. And your cleric can't do anything with it. And it's your healing potion won't work. Exactly. Now, expensive a, clever, a clever player stuck that on the end of a, musk, of a rifle, right? And then spent a whole fuck ton of gold on cannonballs. Had the wizard... Went to the wizard and go, shrink these to bullet size. Pow! Shoot bullet. Passes through the pat in the field of that anti-magic. Cannonball. That's, that's like the old uh, arrows in the ballista trick. With mm-hmm. enlarge, yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's so much fun stuff you can do just to tweak with items, but, um... And even for locations, it's like you used to make that a dungeon... Uh, we ended up taking, I gave my players this run-through of a dungeon where they would find some cool stuff. They turned it into a base. You've heard me talk about it a dozen times. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, there's other places where you're like, alright, you're on this cursed ship. Well, guess what? Now the players have a fucking boat or something. You know? You, you can totally turn this on its head and face it any which way you want if you're clever. And as a GM using these places or items, you gotta be prepared for players to do that. If this is the haunted maze, cool. They just have a new base that they can conquer it. Yeah, and well, some of this stuff can be a warning too. Like, uh, just, just real quick, the stairways in the middle of the forest. I guarantee some players going to walk to the top. And if you really want to set the, the the standard, let them walk to the top and then say, "All right, roll the new character." Just saying. Anyway, Kaz, you were about to say something. Yeah. Um. We brought up items being finicky, and it's really easy for the, for you to create an item with personality. Not necessarily malicious or malign to the players, but with personality. By making errors in the magic that codes it. We, we, we brought up um, the sword that has an alignment requirement, but is unable to communicate that, right? Yeah. It just wiggles its way out trying to, like, no, I don't want to do that. That guy over there, he's fine. You're not. He's fine. And he can't communicate that, so he just tries to get away. Uh, the, uh, the flawed ring of regeneration, right? We brought this up in a magic item episode. Well, it is a ring of regeneration. It returns you to perfect health. But it only has one template to work from, so it transforms you into that. You, you can even get crazy with this uh, as a GM. If you're doing items... And maybe the item isn't cursed or anything like that. And, of course, this was one of the things I did with the trap on somebody as the item really wasn't cursed. 
And it also takes me to one of my favorite novels I read in my youth called The Misenchanted Ring, where, of course, the, the whole punchline, it's, it's a 250-page joke, essentially. And at the end of it, the, the whole punchline is, who can tell a gold ring from a brass one in the dark? Uh, so the ring was misenchanted throughout the whole story. It filled its intended purpose, well, for the most part. And when you're creating an item, you know, some wizards love to experiment. This is something we forget about. But wizards and intellectuals and all that, throughout this, the trope of haunted items or sentient items, love to experiment and do try new things. And it could be as simple as a human's handy haversack where a guy wants to make the handy haversack a little bit more handy... But he uses the wrong creature in his construction, and he thinks he gets a um, uh, a Grelkin, but instead gets a Gremlin. And so, like, whenever you put any devices that are mechanical inside the pack, they get come out disassembled. Or it's a creature that was fey and doesn't like mechanical items, so you're walking along, and suddenly just an item will just get, dumb, get tossed out of the back of your pack while your you're water walking. clock just goes flying. Yeah, your water, you hear a thud behind you, and your water clock is on the ground, because... The intelligence that inhabits your item doesn't like it and just tosses it out the back. Right. Uh, uh, insert spittoon joke. You know. <laughs> you know, yeah, western style. Oh, man, you can have a uh, fairy dragon where, you know, it just loves playing pranks on you, so, like, cover your dagger in slime. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you're you're shooting arrows and just a flute comes out. And like, the fuck? <laughs> Your bootlaces tie themselves together at random intervals. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily correctly, either. <laughs> like, it's bad at tying knots. Of course, if it's Faye, you know, the bootlaces may just change the colors to uh, give the enemies a less of, of an impression to you. You're, you're like the uh, ninja dressed all in black, but you walk in with, like, fuchsia bootlaces. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> oh, it's so dark and gritty in this world, and... God damn it, my bootlaces are baby powder blue again. (laughs) (laughs) It it breaks the tension. It does, you know. Uh, uh, Hat of disguised self, but it always tweaks your image. Well, that's like, um, and some of the cursed items I've done, and this is not exactly in the sentient item realm, but it could be, uh, depending on how it plays out. But like, I had a potion of disguise that was actually a potion of transformation, Mm. and it only had one pre-programmed disguise in it. And it would turn you into a serving lynch. Mm-hmm. Because again, wizards, when they create things, get experimental. And like the story behind the item when I created it, uh, there was some a uh, few items in that treasure batch that were just not quite right. And the wizard was planning on using this potion on a farm animal to turn it into his perfect concubine because he was so inept with actual women mm-hmm. <laughs> that he was just going to transmogrify a, a farm animal into a human woman using alteration and transformation magics. And and just go with that. And just go with that. <laughs> but, of course, this is... Um, social recluse. Social recluse. This is one of those things, of course, it's really embarrassing. So if one of his other wizard buddies came over, the potion would just identify as a potion of disguise. Not turn farm animal into milkmaid. So when somebody would take the, the potion, of course, it would turn them into a milkmaid and never wear off. <laughs> uh, and of course it was the wizard at the time his perfect idea of what a busty milkmaid would look like which you know bar winch bar winch but again this is a locational thing uh, as far as this goes because that adventure that took place 
this was the, the, the wizard's menagerie of uh, he what? was a not an alchemist the uh, artificer no he was part artificer but he was basically the kind of uh, wizard that transforms things and so alterations transmutation transmuter uh, transmuter yes so he was a transmuter experimenting with that stuff but some of his experiments embarrassed him but like everything does like, like this is any a, researcher will tell you they've got embarrassing stories yeah this is a locational thing so if I wanted to go more of the supernatural route I would have gone less scary and creepy not quite comical but like the players want to go into a specific room and the place has taken on a bit of the personality fragments of the wizard and says uh no and just doors close yeah, of course the players would think oh there must be something special in there Whereas actually the building telling the players to go away because the wizard's, like, underwear collection is in there or something. Yeah, and <laughs> his little collection of uh, brass waifu figurines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his little anime figure wife, uh, figurines, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and wizards will do this. Like, any place that a wizard inhabits or any real magical experimenter. It doesn't matter what their profession I, is. I would say uh, intelligent experimenter, whether it's a wizard, a Promethean alchemist, a AI coder, a golem maker, a monster maker. Somebody's going to include a bit of their personality in their craft. And in their environment. <clears throat> and in their environment, yes. Their environment will eventually pick up on that, especially if you're playing with AIs. Or, or psychics. Or psychics, psionics. Uh, psionic imprinting, uh, magical consciousnesses, you know, the door gargoyle, like, you name it, it's there. It's going to have some personality, and like everybody has, no, you d I don't want you to go in there. Why? Because I don't want you to go in there. Why? Because I don't want to tell you. Stay out of my room. Stay out of my room. Where one of my favorite things, every time I try to create a story where, you know, like, there's a, a big magical castle where it's like, alright, the wizard built all this place, y'all can stay here, there's just a couple places you can't go, where the doors are blended in to look like the wall. It's not until the wizard goes open it that everything, you know, moves around and then looks like an actual door again. Well, bless my bones, it's Harry Potter. Basically. Yeah. But fun shit like that you can do as well, and it's one of those things of... The, what was that room out of Harry Potter? The room of requirement? Yeah. Like, that only appears to people who need it, and mainly from a certain house. I still like the... Well, <clears throat> Gryffindor sucks. Yep. I still like, uh, like one, uh, you know, because we're going more away from the haunted stuff, too. I, animated items that just do things, and one of my favorite annoying items in Fable... Is the gnomes that insult you? Yes, <laughs> I love those fuckers. I hate them, but I love them. I, I can actually gnome. see a wizard who has a sense of humor just leaving these things around to insult people, and it doesn't even matter who they are; it'll figure something out. Oh, you've got green scales. What did your brother? Did your mother puke out, oh, or something? A one-handed bastard sword, too small for two hands, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. I and guess you say sizes and everything, then. Oh, compound bow, compensating for something there with your shaft? Yeah, and, you know, malicious little just annoying motherfuckers yeah. like that. And, and yeah, they're, they're sentient enough to recognize your gender and what you do. Gender, so occupation, and probably species wouldn't be all that hard to bake yeah, in. Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard to bake in, so yeah, you could totally have sentient items there that are just designed to annoy. Just be a bother. Oh, God. 
and then you can't get rid of them. And they're not they're not going to cause any egregious harm other than being an annoyance. Mm-hmm. Fun one. Absolutely. Just thought it up. I'm sure someone's done it. You have a pouch that will produce food, but it only produces gingerbread men. And if you don't close it up right away, they start popping out and they become sentient. <laughs> so you've got Accidental little, army? Or, well, no, they'll pop up like a dozen at a time. So they'll pop up and they'll start fucking with your shit where basically they're brownies, but they're gingerbread people. <laughs> That's clever. Yeah. Acidine, but clever. And of course, the only way to really truly get the uh, upper hand on fighting an entire horde of those is to fight them in a milk factory. <laughs> no, no that's, that's where uh, Perf's other spell, Great Milk, is. Great Milk. <laughs> Quick, we need a lactomancer. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're diving into the silly end, and it looks like our time. Oh, yeah, so my final thoughts for this I know it's weird for me to go first is. Creativity comes down to your inspiration. You want to go look at an art book. Hell, for something like this, look at a joke book if you're looking for something to just keep around your players. Um, Think of locations. Get inspiration out there. It's not so much that you're copying. It's you're drawing on the inspiration. Um, Darth Blasphemous signing off. Alright, my final thoughts is all the way from... The times of antiquity when Sumeria was still a city-state to the pulp era when we were uh, buying books for less than five cents to the modern era. There are plenty of locations, plenty of stories, uh, endless cavalcade of stories and stuff that detail locations or items that have their own personalities. And if you ever want to include something like that in your game, you have boundless uh, resources for inspiration. Have fun with it. Your players will too, the more you enjoy it. Game Goblin, going back to my crypt. Everything is built for a reason. And this sounds like a really deep thing, but when you think about it, the servant golem was just trying to do his job. All of these things are very simple creations in perhaps a very complicated way. And both that means that they can misinterpret things and learn the wrong way and they can simply be done wrong and either way is going to lead you to a lot of shenanigans and like Goblin said if you have fun with it your players will too it's worth keeping in mind and don't be afraid to just throw the tax on the floor and see what rolls out Kazarkan back to the skies And in their tongue, she is known as Bovakim, the Heiferborn. <laughs>